Welcome to this very special season of Delving Into Dance. This season, Ancestors and Anecdotes is a partnership with Ozdance Victoria, exploring the perspectives of some of Australia's female dance pioneers. This season forms the auditory component of the exhibition titled Ancestors and Anecdotes, opening concurrently with the 2017 Australian Dance Awards. This exhibition pays homage to the invaluable work of Australia's dance pioneers and the manner in which their legacy endures today. The focus is on five legendary dance pioneers, Cheryl Stock, Margaret Lassica through the perspective of her daughter Shelley, Elizabeth Cameron Dullman, Carol Johnson and Shirley McKechnie. This episode explores anecdotes of Shirley interviewed by Jonathan Homsey in Shirley's home. This interview is a wonderful non-linear journey through stories and mementos of Shirley's extraordinary life. This is a warm and enlightening interview that starts with a discussion of Shirley's practice. I'd love to start this interview first thanking you, Shirley, for welcoming me into your home. It's actually a complete privilege well, as it's, a... It's, it's, my home in my older years, Jonathan, let's put it that way. <laughs> it's all good. Um, but I thought it'd be really great to start with a mental picture because I was obviously, there's so much information on you and your career and all the stuff you've done in your life, but I really wanted to paint a visual picture to our listeners. But that first dance class with Daisy and Hani, you were there, you walked in, it must have been in the 1940s. It was, yes. Yeah, and what was that first class like? Because you were mainly. Well, I had been used to ballet. I'd been doing ballet for two or three years, three two or three years. I'd grown very tall. Jenny Brennan was my teacher. She told my mother I was much too tall to be a ballerina. Would I like to be a showgirl? And my mother was so shocked. She had me out of that studio very quickly. And then in no time at all, within a few months, I, I had a cousin who was taking lessons at this wonderful studio in Collins Street. Why didn't I try? So off I went and I had my first lesson there. And, you know, there was a basic ballet bar and then there was all of this. You know, this beautiful <laughs> kind of contraction. And... this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yes, Bowden Visa didn't contain, didn't call it contraction. You just did it. You know, I'm doing it. Now. Mm. And uh, it was the it was the improvisation, the imagination that was incorporated in every single lesson. At the end of every single lesson, there was a period of improvisation. You were given a task. You you were then obliged to make it. A dance on the spot. You didn't. You didn't go away and do it as a task. You improvised. You know? mm. And someone. Play, and we had people playing the piano for a class who'd been concert pianists in Vienna. <laughs> Jewish people, and um, you know they would play wonderful music. We would improvise, and it was it was magical for me. Absolutely. And from going from ballet, did it just feel so liberating to improvise, or was it really scary at first? Going. Oh, no, no, I loved it. <laughs> no, I took to it like like that. Loved it. And I incorporated that in every class I ever taught as I grew older and began to teach. I had teaching, I had lessons in, in teaching from Daisy, who specialised in it in Vienna, and from Hanny. Hanny was the, da- the beautiful dancer. Daisy was a good dancer, but Hanny was the epitome of a dance. And I learned so much from both of them. Is yeah. there a particular image or like an exercise that kind of like you remember from that era when you first started doing it? Oh, yes, it is. I can't show you, but I know exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. And Jenny could show you. <laughs> Amazing. Because I taught the same thing. 
to this chirpe, to a chirpe pa da dum pa dum bum dum da dee da dum bum bum da dee da dum so on and so on, you know. And it took you to the floor and up again and bending and stretching and, you know, a whole range of things. I think that's wonderful because even for me, I'm I'm 28 years old and phrases have definitely left my mind. So I think it's so wonderful and poignant that even just the phrase, you can still do the phrase in your brain just like that. Well, that's that's one of the one of the perceptions that you acquire. Dancing all your life, you can watch a dancer do it. And you're doing it with her, mm. him or her. And, um, you know, I can think of a million things. I mean, I can do that in my brain, <laughs> you know. That, that, that's the picture I sent you. I can do that. I, can, I know exactly what it is. You stand on, you know. That's the mm. thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ruts and for say turn on Debbie Paul. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so you started being an improviser, but when did you get in that process to go, I'm going to start making work. I need to, I need to choreograph something. Uh, well, I didn't get to the stage of thinking of myself as a choreographer until my parents moved to, oh, in the, in the meantime, Daisy and Annie had both married over the years. I was there from about 1942 to 1948 when I married. And I studied with them all that time, you know, two or three times a week, rehearsals, performances in the Union Theatre, etc. And being Jewish and being cultivated, they knew every Jewish, Jewish person in Melbourne who was anybody. And many of them were at Melbourne University or running the Victorian mm. Orchestra or, um, you know, doing things that were important in the arts. And I had never, as an Australian girl growing up in a family that could have some kind of scholarship and literary mm-hmm. interests, but beyond that, not a lot, not in much in music, certainly not in painting or artwork. And this was a whole revelation to me, this whole world of opening up the arts in a, in a broader sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that was common in, for Australian girls at that time, you know, it was war years. And um, I, remember, I just remember it well. Anyway, what happened was that my parents retired and moved to live in Fermentry Gully, of all places. And I spent every weekend there with them. And in the end, I was asked if I would like to make a... a to, I, I would... I'd been teaching. I must have done something or other. Oh, I knew people who were at the Little Theatre and people who knew me from the years with Daisy and Annie. And they suggested I should start a class at Burntry Gully, which I did. And I was still in my late teens. And I started my first class there in Burntry Gully. And uh, we ran, I ran classes every week and performances for children at the end of the year, etc. Did that for a couple of years. Met my husband, married, moved back to Melbourne. And in due course... Um, you know, um, Daisy, Daisy married first, then had a child uh, within a year or so, and she asked me if I would take over her classes at Methodist Ladies College, where she taught through the week, and I did that. They must have had some clue that I had a, a, a talent, some sort of a talent for teaching, or they wouldn't have asked me, because when Hanny had her first child, she asked me the same thing. She'd been teaching at Furbank in Brighton here, mm. and I came down and took her classes for, with Furbank. So that when Ken and I, my husband and I, moved to to Morris in the first years of our marriage, it was a whole brand new suburb. It had been a, a, a whole colony of, of market gardens up till that time. And the Dunlop Corporation had bought up all this land, and it became a new mm. suburb overnight, virtually. And uh, I had my first child and then I had a second one a few years later and I found myself walking down that little shopping centre thinking, how did I get here? (laughs) (laughs) 
a five-year-old child in one hand and a little, a little in the, in the toddler, a toddler in, in the pusher in the other hand. And I was bored with, bored with domestic life, bored with being a housewife, bored with it all. And I said to my husband, I'm going to start a dance class. He said, how are you going to do that? I said, oh, I'll hire a local hall and put a notice in the newspaper. And the first day I had opened the class in the local scout hall, this lady turned up <laughs> in the beautiful... Bowden, and what is her name? Bowden. Her name was Jacqueline Flavel. Mm. And uh, Jackie is now in her late 60s. <laughs> <laughs> but she was about 18 there when she did that. And that, that particular back bend is typical of Bowden Visa technique. The deep back bends, the deep body waves were absolutely central. And what was a contraction but not called a contraction mm. was also central. So that when the Martha Graham technique came along a few years later, the pet contraction was in our bodies. We knew yeah. it intimately. And could use it, and a lot of the actual arm work and other things was also very similar. Yeah, of course. So you know, by that time, the modern dance in Europe and the modern dance in America had meshed in in many different ways historically. You know, which people like Jordan understand very implicitly. Do you think it's also because of the political climate from the war and oh, the way they emoted from their bodies? So yes. I feel in that era, even in. Mary Weekman, for example, yes. you get it's something from their gut. You feel yes, it from their gut, absolutely. whether you it's a concept or yes. the physical sensation, and whether it's in a deep body wave or whether yes. it's in a grand contraction. I think it was the political That's context right. yes. that really shaped all of the movement. Well, in, in in Germany it was Wigmann, in Austria it was Bodenwieser, and of course there was Kurt Jus, mm. who was also there with Laban and Del Crows. You know the, you know these names. Yes, yes. Of course, you know the Laban name. <laughs> Del Crows was a rhythmic musical person who taught uh, music through movement and uh, that was another thing and all of these influences meshed in many cases many not in all cases but in many situations you know they, they transferred from Europe to America and back again and eventually to Australia mm. and uh, there's been a lot of influence from both the European continent and from the Americas. Yeah. And forgive me to digress, we're back in that class, you're that first batch of dancers coming to the hall, and what was it like in those first, was it, what, did you stay there for a year? Did you feel like the, the dancers slowly came in? Daisy and Henny. Oh, I mean, um, you made the class oh, in the hall, so you oh, put, it, yes, you put the local news in the I, local I paper. Started, I started off with children. They're yeah. All, they're all little children, and uh, I just taught them the techniques that I had learned from Daisy and Henny. Uh, I mean, modified for children, of course, mm. and I had to use my own common sense and my own brain <laughs> for everything that happened, and I adapted and adjusted. I knew what these children wanted, and I certainly didn't want a European or American dance. I wanted an Australian dance, mm. and, of course, all these other influences were there. Of course, they were, inevitably, including the ballet. And uh, I taught them a, a whole range of techniques, as was suitable to their age and ability and technical progress as they went along, always with improvisation, always with a poem or a painting or a piece of music to listen to. I can remember one occasion, and I've... Are you ready for this one? Uh, oh, I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> On one occasion, I had a class of little girls, little, well, mostly girls in those days, and I'd taken in a, a book of Paul Clay's paintings, you know, Clay, K-L-E-E? Yes. And uh, the book of paintings were a bit like a pictures of an exhibition. One of them was, was, oh, I know what that was. It was a, I first of all started with everybody looking at the clay paintings because they were so quaint, so extraordinarily different in the modern sense. 
to other things, almost like cartoons, some of them, you know, but the twittering machine, you might remember, there's a little machine-like thing, and these crazy-looking bird creatures sitting on it, and uh, that was all part of the, you know, the magic of the, of the thing. And I took along Paul Clay's, Claude, Claude, Paul Clay's painting <laughs> of the twittering machine, mm -hmm. and I showed it to the little children, they were about six, six or something, five or six years old, and I said, what do you think of this painting? And they all had ideas about what the painting was and meant, and it meant different things to different children. They all said, I said, do you think you could make a dance to the twitching, about the twitching machine? Oh, yes, they could all make a dance about the twitching machine. All right, would you like to take the music, the, the paint, would you like to go and tell, Jerry was the pianist, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful pianist she was. Would you like to go and tell Jerry what kind, this was to one child, and it's particularly vocal. Would you like to go and tell Jerry what sort of music you wanted? Oh, yes, she said. So she picked up the, the book with the painting in it. She took the painting over to Jerry. She put it in front of her on the piano and said, we want music for a little man dressed in leaves. <laughs> it was her interpretation of the, yeah. of the twittering figure, little man dressed in leaves. So Jerry played a little man dressed in leaves and the children made a dance to it mm -hmm. on the spot, improvisation. And that, that, whether it was a poem or a painting or a piece of music or a story or a fable, whatever it was, every single class, I would have a different source for the improvisation and children loved it. I just loved it. And I think also for that, especially in that era in any part of the world, like, I feel like just my personal opinion, I think many people would agree, you're really at the forefront of female empowerment and you powered yourself as a female leader and you empowered so many little girls. Did you find in, you know, this is the 1950s, was it just wonderful to see so many little girls having a voice and yes, actually really yes. being vocal and assertive? Yeah. And Well, I'm talking about 1955. Yeah. That's, I had taught in Furniture Gully prior to that, and I taught for Daisy and Hattie in their mm. two schools. But in 1955, I started my own school in Morris, and that was the beginning of my school, which, which grew from 20 children in that first session to well over 350 in, the, in, in time over the next 15 or 20 years. So do you remember, so obviously you had an end-of-year performance every year at the oh, school. Yes, yes. Do you remember when it was the first generation of graduates? So you had the little ones, and now they're 18. Well, these are they. Yeah, and these what was there a certain work you put on them? What was the like oh, that was, piece of resistance? I was choreographing. Well, you'd have to ask them. Yeah, and I choreographed. Uh, I found a piece of music called "Sketches on Themes of Paul Clay," mm. and the composer was Gunter Schuller, German composer, and he had composed a piece called "The Twittering Machine," which were, these are all paintings of Paul yes. Clay, the Twittering Machine. One was Antique Harmonies, another was Little Blue Devil, and Eerie Moment, and Abstract Trio. There were five, there were, I think there were seven altogether. I chose five of them, and they were the five I chose. Mm. And I choreographed to the music of Gunter Schuller's, and the, the work became a suite of dances, which was a work in itself, not a ballet as such, but a suite of five separate dances on things of Paul Clay. That was mm. what the name of it was, Sketches on Themes of Paul Clay, choreography. How did you feel the general public was absorbing this modern dance or contemporary dance, we might have called it the, at the time? Because obviously they, your students, love the work, but this is really a new form for the Australian community yes. to view. And, and the whole of the district, by Morris, Black Rock, Hampton, various Mentone, mm. 
the students came from all around and their parents, of course, loved it because the kids loved it. Mm. The kids loved it and wanted to come. They always were waiting for the next class and the parents brought them along. Parents got involved. Parents and the aunts and uncles and cousins and friends used to come to the performances and that was how the first audience was built. And in time, I, because, you know, I developed skills and expertise as time went on, just by doing it with the children, you know, mm. and also more ambition. And we had our first, what you would call, professional performance in the Emerald Hill Theatre. Do you know about the Emerald Hill Theatre? I don't. It's in, it, it was in, the, the, the place where it was was an old church. I can't even remember what denomination it was. Mm. But it was in South Melbourne. Um, oh, I think I know where it is. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And it's it, it, in a park called Emerald Hill. Yes. Part of South Melbourne mm. called Emerald Hill. And it was called the Emerald Hill Theatre. And that was where we had our first, first. I call it professional because none of us were paid. We were all doing it because we loved it. Was this the forming of your of the company in 1963? Is yeah, this what you're talking that's about? exactly right, yeah. 1963. I started my school in 55 and the company was formed... Of those dancers, mostly who started with me in the world in 1955, they were five, six, seven, eight, and by 1963 they were eight years older. And what made you want to make the company? You just go, I have the most wonderful roster of dancers. It's time to showcase them. What was well, what inspired I, I think, you to I 1963? Think, I think it. Oh, it's just that I had more ambition to have a, a wider audience mm. and to. Um, show what we could do as a group. You know, I, I felt that they were as, as much a part of the creation as I was. I couldn't work without these dancers. And certainly I trained them and encouraged imagination and certainly techniques. And I had I had a ballet teacher come in every week to give ballet classes for those who want to do some classical ballet. And, and they had a lot of, lot of you know, wide experience in actual fact. So it was mm -hmm. all good. So now, now we're fast-forwarding to the 60s, which is where I, I mean, you're, I feel like everything is a piece of the resistance when I get to go through your research and learn more about you. But it's such a signifying time in the 60s because you were really, again, at the forefront. I think you're at the forefront pretty much in every part of your life, Shirley. Um, um, so we're here in 1963, and the company's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then do you feel, what was it like finding a new company, and what were some of the obstacles? Were there some sort of, was there really like a trying time? Having a company? Because obviously... Look, I don't remember it as trying. It was yeah. all an absolute delight to me. <laughs> and uh, I was still teaching classes right through. Rehearsals happened at weekends. There was never a worry with anyone missing a rehearsal. Good heavens, they wouldn't dream of it. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have put up with it anyway. <laughs> but they wouldn't have been there if they had missed rehearsals. That was understood. If you wanted to be in this work, you were there. And my goodness, they were there. As was I. Mm. And... Um, you know, I, I felt that a lot of the work was collaborative uh, because they, a lot of the material that they, I had them watch one another do improvisation. Mm. And the people watching would absorb an enormous amount that the, the doer hadn't realised they'd done. And they would say, oh, look, you did this. And suddenly there'd be a whole new movement there. Mm. And this was not just one occasion. It was, it was dozens of, of occasions you know, over weeks and months and years where people watched one another. Everybody could work in an ensemble and look perfectly like a group in, a, in an ensemble, perfectly in time, perfectly together, perfectly spaced, doing exactly the same movement if necessary. And yet, on their own, they were absolutely and totally 
individual and different. Jackie, I remember we had an interview with a, an ABC interviewer at one stage when she was about 16. And I can remember the interviewer saying to her, well, could you dance about anything? And she said, oh, yes. He said, could you make a dance about a stone? And she said, yes. She said, a stone has a certain... I watched her do it and say, stone has a certain weight and a certain shape and a certain quality. It's hard. It's not soft. It's hard and it's uneven and it's heavy. And she was doing the movement as she was talking about it. Hard, uneven and heavy. Describes a movement. I think, and also it's so interesting um, because you must have just been just so proud because not only did you cultivate them as movers, you cultivated their minds to go on their own. Kind of, li- I took it for granted. I never thought about it as something mm. that was special to me, Jonathan. I've been taught the, the, the technique and the process by Daisy and Annie in the studio in Collins Street. I developed the, I developed the technique in my own way for my own situation. Of course, it was different. They came from the middle of Europe, from a, a famous. Viennese city that had been the centre of the arts in Europe for centuries, and here we were in Melbourne, and nobody had ever heard of Vienna. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, but where? Not, not the children, anyway. <laughs> and um. uh, but it was it was remarkable, you know. I, I I was totally and utterly absorbed in the creation and the teaching. And uh, Jenny Jenny gave a talk at this um, um, history thing they had at the yes. National Gallery a, a week. Of, the 12th, it was, not it? It was the 12th of August. Two weeks ago, exactly. Yes. And Jenny gave a talk and she used photographs I'd given her and she talked about the improvisation, about being told the stories when they were little, about Shirley would bring in a poem or a painting. I'm quoting her when I say that. <laughs> um, and, and we would make dances out of them. And I think as um, also as a VCA graduate, and it's interesting to kind of, you see the origins of the, of the things that have yes, inspired us. Yes. They may have gone on little tangents, but at the core, it's you, and you have inspired all these students. Well, it's a, it's a history behind. It is. It's, I mean, it is, it is a lineage, yes, but it's, it's, it's you know, it's kind of mother hen contributing yes. to so you many. See, Meredith, you know, Meredith. Of course, Meredith Blackburn. Yes. Meredith was a student at Rusden, where I started the first course in tertiary education. Yes, you led me to my next question, and, nineteen seventy-five. And, um, and um, Meredith was did she, I taught her in her first year there. But then she was very influenced by Hilary Crampton. I, by that time, had a staff of teachers, and I wasn't taking every class. Mm. I certainly took a number of classes that Meredith did, but she inherited this style as well. I taught Nina at the Australian Ballet School, and Anna went through the course, the same course. I taught her older sister, Marika. Marika? Marita? I'm not sure. And, uh, and then Anna, the younger sister, went through the course of a year or two later by the time I'd left. I had a brain tumour. It affected my whole, it was, it was benign, I got over it, but it left me with this malfunction in my left side. I couldn't stand up, I couldn't, you know, couldn't dance. And, so and was that quite sudden? It seemed sudden to me, mm. Jonathan, yes. I started seeing double, and uh, the GP sent me to the eye specialist. The eye specialist sent me to the, to the neurologist. The neurologist said to me, he was at the top of um, one of the high buildings in Collinsville, Look out the window, yes. Can you see Government House? Yes, I can. Can you see the flagpole? Yes, I can. How many can you see? I said, one. He said, I don't think there's anything wrong with your eyes. I mean, he sent me back to the eye specialist. And it was at that stage I got a severe chest cold, went back to the GP, and the GP said, you mean, you mean to say 
you've seen the eye specialist, you've seen the neurologist, and none of them have had you given you ordered a CAT scan. I said, no. He said, well, I will. He ordered the, the GP ordered the CAT scan, and there was this tumour thing going over the movement area of my brain. I'd, I'd been losing balance. I'd been, you know, uncertain of movement, and I kept saying, I oh, can just get no, Shirley. I was in my 50s by this time. Go back to the gym. Go back to the gym. Work harder, which I did. You know, back to the gym, pulling and pushing mm. and doing all that stuff. And it didn't get better. That's when all of this other stuff happened. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the timeline, but this was, were you forming AADE at the same time we were going through but this? AADE, no, this was before Rusden. Okay. I think. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me retract that, Jonathan. This yeah. Was not before Rusden. This happened while I was at Rusden. I've been at Rusden 10 years. So this was in the 1980s. This was in the 1980s. So um, I'm going to backtrack because um, our listeners, you did so many things in the late 1970s for dance in Australia. Um, not only did you form, first let's backtrack going, I'm thinking to yourself, I'm going to make sure we have dance as a university degree. How do you even begin those steps? Oh, to, I, I, knew, to, I, I knew I had a very... My dear husband is the man in the, in the pictures there, Jonathan, as a, as a 17-year-old with his horse and his car <laughs> and his bully out in the bush, which he loved. And the middle one was he was middle-aged in his 40s, and the other one was when he was an elderly man with his, only, with his only grandchild. <laughs> yes, so I loved him dearly. And he was very helpful. He was the one who did the, did the lighting, did the, did the whole lot of backstage stuff. And co-op, there was no problem co-opting all the local boys to help, of course. These yeah. beautiful girls... <laughs> But how did you convince university that dance oh, deserves a degree? I knew I had to get a degree first. so. Um, and that's I, when you got your English literature degree? Yes, that's right. So I, I, it was a, a four-year degree, an honours degree in English literature at Monash. It took me four years. I started in 1969. I actually went tried to enrol at Monash in 68. And uh, they said, well, what have you I was by then going on 40 or something. And they said, well, what have you been doing for the last 20 years? I said, oh, I've been, I've been married, I've had a family, I've got a mortgage, a husband, you know. <laughs> what do you think I've been doing? <laughs> running, a, running a dance school? <laughs> I've just been crochet knitting for 20 years. <laughs> and, um, and they said, oh, well, you know, go away and get some more qualification. I already had a, a, a matriculation mm-hmm. with, with the required number of subjects. I did, I'd done science in my, in my last years at high school. And... Um, Anyway, I went away and I did a year at Taylor's in 1968, and back I, I got a, then I got an exhibition in English literature, and if I did English literature and classical civilization, I think at Taylor's mm-hmm. it was then a a, a, a a tertiary preparation year run by a, a commercial firm in Melbourne, mm-hmm. a bit like the things that are running. Now. Yeah. So that's where I went and got an extra qualification, and uh, so then I went back to. Back to Monash, of course, where I had an exhibition in English, meaning I'd, I'd got the top mark in English literature in, in that year's exam or something like that. And I was enrolled immediately and I found myself a student at Monash. And I was there for the next five years, from 1969 to 73, 74. And then you finished this degree and now... What what was the urge that went for you to be an advocate to make sure dance was a university? Oh, I knew I had to go to America yeah. because America had... I knew we wanted educated dancers and we didn't have them. The dancers that had been in the Russian ballet, their famous ballerinas were 13 years old. They were like, you know, you see gymnasts now and, and you know, the strongest human creature on the planet is an 11-year-old girl, weight to age. You know, 
and an 11-year-old girl could do all that extraordinary stuff in gymnastics. Well, they had the same ability in dance. And in the, in the Russian ballet, Irina Baranova, Tamara, Sh- Sh- Tamara Shivanova, um, doesn't matter who the other one was, <laughs> <laughs> Tashiana Rubsinska, they were, they were the 13-year-olds who just took the world by storm on the travels of the Russian ballet around the world. And I thought we need, we need dancers who can certainly dance and choreograph and teach, but they also need to, to be able to do all the things that an educated person does. They weren't educated. Mm. And I knew that we would never make inroads. I mean, when you think about it, music and the visual arts had been in tertiary, edu- tertiary institutions, if you like, mainly monasteries for mm. centuries. And the, and the university grew out of what were originally monasteries, monasteries, things that's in England, that mm. was anyway, Oxford and Cambridge, I understand. And uh, so it was, it was that kind of impulse that said, you know, you've got to get a university degree before you can make an argument for a course in dance and education at university level in Australia. And that's why I went into the university course. And the next thing was to go to America because I knew that was the place where they had most developed this idea. I knew from reading the American Dance magazine that there are dance courses in, in, in a large number of American universities at tertiary level. And they were beginning to move from physical education departments into fine arts departments. And they were the ones I wanted to see. I had very good advice from Peggy Van Praa, who was a strong personal friend, and it was she and I who were involved in the Ausdance you know, establishment, yes. Peggy and me particularly. And um, I had Glenn Tetley was a famous choreographer. I had, <laughs> Peggy used to visit used to visit us every weekend. We had a very nice house at Bo Morris. She used to come down and spend every weekend with us for years. My children were like her grandchildren a bit, you know. Mm-hmm. And she also brought all the famous people that visited her. Um, she was head of the Australian yes, Ballet for many years. And so she was always the recipient of many visitors. Ours was a very handy place to bring them to entertain them. <laughs> <laughs> so she did that for years. So Glenn Tetley was one of them. And the people who were then the heads of the Royal Ballet, etc., etc. And these people all advised me on different places to go to in America. So when I went, I had a pretty clear idea of where the best courses were and who I should see and who I should mm-hmm. talk to. I had very good advice. So I went off to... And that was with your travel scholarship from the Australia Council. Exactly. Exactly, yes. Where did you learn that? I I had the background there. And uh, I went, first of all, to um, um, University of California, Los Angeles, LACL. And uh, you see it, UCLA. UCLA. Of California, Los Angeles, UCLA. And uh, there was a famous, I can't remember any of their names now, of course, my memory's not as good as it was. Um, but they were running a course there, and uh, it was an excellent course. I found everywhere I went, I went from California to Salt Lake City in, in Utah, yes. where there was another famous course, particularly a dance education course. From there I went to Ohio State, in Columbus, yeah, Columbus yeah. University in Ohio. From there I went to York University in Toronto, yep. Canada. From there I came back to Juilliard in New York. And uh, I met famous people everywhere I went. Uh, and I found the academics and artists I met in America mm. were so extraordinary in their desire to help, to show me what they were doing, to talk about curricula, to help me to understand how their courses were. And I had all these variations of it right across America. And were they quite, because obviously you went in the 70s, so was it quite postmodern? Did you feel the Judson Church oh, movement? No, post- postmodernism hadn't happened. 
Okay. It was still very Graham technique. Okay. It was still... So um, even though it was happening in New York, it hadn't infiltrated the school system no, yet? No, no, no. This, no. this was 1974. Yeah. I went overseas. And the, the postmodern thing was beginning to happen, but it was not very established. It didn't get to the infiltrated yeah, yet? No, it hadn't, it hadn't infiltrated deeply. Yeah. And, and most of the people running these courses were all Graham dancers. Mm. They'd retired from their dancing years. Martha Hill, for instance, was head of the dance division at Juilliard. She became a personal friend over many years, and I stayed with her. The next, the second next time I went to New York, I stayed with her in her own home on Riverside Drive in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Heights. Yes. And uh, Martha had been a dancer in the Graham Company, and the very first company that did a famous work whose name now escapes me, but it doesn't <laughs> matter. Um, but almost all of the people who were running these courses in various states that I've mentioned had been Graham dancers mm. or associated with them in some way. So you've come back to Australia. Mm. You have all this knowledge. And did you just make a proposal to Rusted? How did you... Oh, no, no, no. I wrote to about 10 tertiary institutions dotted around Melbourne and now teachers' colleges and state colleges and various university departments. And I said I had, uh, I had been a dancer and a choreographer all my life. And I now had a university degree, and I also had recently had this extraordinary trip all around America. And of course, I went to England, mm. did the same thing in England and in Europe. And then we went to the East, I went to Hong Kong, and we, we, there was a dance department in Hong Kong, yeah. incidentally, and uh, then came back to Australia. And uh, I'd had all this experience, and I wrote and said, Well, here I am, I've got a university degree, I've had all this experience, I really want to start a dance department, would you like to employ me? And the uh, kindergarten teacher training college at Frankston, you won't believe this, they asked me to go and interview them. They wanted someone to run a, run a drama course in the kindergarten training college. It's unbelievable. This is true. They offered me a senior lectureship on permanent tenure on the spot. Unheard of. Unheard of now. Unheard yeah. of, Jonathan. And I said, well, I thought about it and I said, well, Eventually, I didn't make up my mind. I mean, I said, go away and think about it. I thought about it, and I thought, if I get stuck in the kindergarten teacher's training, this is going nowhere. It has to be somewhere where there's a, a theatre feeling and something that values the theatre. And Jonathan, I had two letters back, one from the kindergarten training college, one from Jonathan, John, John, John... Jonathan Taylor? No, Jonathan, not Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan <laughs> wasn't in the picture then. Um... John Ellis, John Ellis, yeah. at Rusted. He was head of the drama department. He thought it would be nice if I went and taught movement to the, to the actors. So I did. I thought it was a start. He offered me a tutorship, a tutorship on a 12-month contract. Mm -hmm. And I took that in preference to the Frankston offer because he had a theatre department with studios and space. And the and fine and arts trajectory that you wanted to take it on. fine arts trajectory, exactly. And I went there, and in no time at all, I was talking about starting a course in dance. And John, John said, well a course for the drama students, which I did, was packed, and from there grew the, the, the full Rusted course, which went through the whole accreditation project. That in itself was an experience, just going through the accreditation of a tertiary course. Yeah. We never heard of dance being, you know, useful. And how would you assess it, and exactly, how is it? Exactly, Jonathan, exactly. All of those questions. And um, I remember the, math, the mathematics specialist at the Catholic Teachers College in Melbourne said to me when I met with her, she said, I see that you have got a requirement in your third year for the students to take part in a major dance production. Now, you have exactly the same requirement in the fourth year. Now, why is that? 
They're gonna do it more than once. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that were the sort of things I had to overcome. Complete, mm. complete oblivion about any value attached to dance at all. And that was what I had to overcome, Jonathan. And the, the, the fact that I've been in America and I've seen the acceptance, the, the level of expertise and the level of um, artistic practice, and I knew what was achievable. Mm. I've been to Juilliard. I was at Juilliard yeah. for a month as a guest of Martha Hill in the Juilliard department at Lincoln Centre. So I'm going to fast forward a bit. So now Rusden has formed a bit. Yes. It's been a few years in, and you get to see your first graduating class of those university students. Is there a particular moment you hold dear to that first generation of students? And could you name some of those students to us? Oh, Jonathan, I wish I could. (laughs) Um, I can't remember the particular people who were in the first generation. One of them was Robin Sedgwick. Yes. And Robin went on to start a course, a course, not a course, a, a small group in Ballarat, mm. which she developed as a, a, a community group, community theatre group of dancers. Robin, Robin was an example who did, did that. There were two or three others who did it, who were marvellous with, with teenage kids. Well, we know, Rusden was a secondary training college. And so the people who graduated from Rusden after four years were trained to deal with teenage students and they had all kinds of classes not only in not only in their own subject they had to do their own subject for many hours a mm. week but they also had classes in the sociology of the teenagers the psych- and sociology and psychology of teenagers and a whole range of things that were relevant to them. Robin was a splendid student and she was I can remember her you see because she did the outstanding thing of starting a new group and going taking it on. Mm. Meredith eventually took that over for a period and mm. took it even further. And um, there were people beginning to do things like that because they were teaching in schools and what they were doing was pretty much the, the, the range of technique and improvisation that I'd taught them as valuable. I also thought it was really important for anybody who was graduating with a tertiary education to be competent as a dancer. They had to be competent as a dancer because you're demonstrating all the time. They had to be competent as a teacher and they had to be competent as a choreographer or a creator. Mm. And they were the three things that I concentrated on in the Rusden course. And do you feel the like... So obviously you had Jenny Kinder, of course, in, in there. Was she part of the first generation? There's a particular... Obviously, no, Jenny was, Jenny was younger. Jenny, yes. Jenny started in 1955 when she was five. So even even when we had the first professional performance in 1963, what's, what's five plus eight? She was, she was 13. I think she was in it. But she was, yeah. only, she was only 13. And the others were all 15, 16, mm. 17, you know, a bit older. So did you get to have Jenny and Meredith in the same batch? Oh, Meredith. Meredith. Uh, Meredith I didn't even meet Meredith to Rosden. Yeah. Jenny was in my first schooling at, at Bo Morris yes. in 1955. I didn't even have Meredith until 1975. Yeah, so there's obviously so many iconic teachers that now yes, are kind of stalwarts of the VCA. Right, Do you have particular young moments of a young Meredith or a young Jenny that you hold dear? Or, um, yes, um, Stephanie Lake. <laughs> Stephanie Lake is, is, is the paramount of what I, would, what I would like to see emerge from a tertiary dance education. Mm. She's, she's extraordinarily successful uh, um, in terms of her technique. Um, she was in terms of improvisation, in terms of teaching, and she's a great choreographer. She is a, and she's, she's a highly imaginative, you know, capable woman. 
She is. But of course, I mean, but, but, but for Stephanie, like there were so many people that, um, came for your bus and also you were involved in, in VCA and oh, I was. yes. I was um, do you have any particular moments from you? I think you were like, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was 1978. I started uh, in the, <clears throat> I, <clears throat> I was asked to join and finally appointed to the VCA council mm. as a specialist in modern dance modern ballet, I think it was called, um, in 1973. Mm. So I was in the college council for 14 years. So you add 14 on to 1973. It's 1987. And that's how long I was I was in the college council. Jonathan Taylor um, was eventually brought to Australia from the Rombear Company yes. in London. And Jonathan um, had, a, had, had a great sense of training for young men. He was a terrific teacher and encourager of young men. He really was. And people like, um, oh, look, I don't remember their names. It's I, okay. I can see them, but I can you see, can them, see them dancing. You well, tell, tell, me, tell us about what you're seeing. We don't have to know the name, but what, what is the dancing you're seeing in your mind's eye? I'm seeing people who are competent in ballet and in contemporary <laughs> dance. Uh, I'm seeing people who can improvise, who can create, choreograph, and, and wonderful Wonderful performance, choreographed by Catherine Den Kate Denborough. Yes, and and what was her, her artistic partner's name? Um, Justin? Gerard. Gerard. Yes. Yes, Gerard. What's his second name? Van Van, Van Dyke. Yes, Gerard. Kate and Gerard um, did a, an extraordinarily wonderful piece, and again, I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> but they would they would know immediately who was the. Yeah, they, they had people who'd been students of VCA mm. in it. And it's one of the works that stays in my mind for its authenticity, its power, its drama, and its beautiful dancing. Well, it's, what a beautiful mm. discussing lineage. Now that we've kind of really discussed, we could discuss about your university memories for oodles and oodles and hours and hours. But obviously it was 1976 to 1977. And you must have felt some sort of void because you needed to, you wanted to make the Australian Association of Dance Education. Oh, it was a yes, um, yes, and it was it was through my my meeting with Warren Lett. He was then a professor <coughs> at La Trobe University, and he was dean, as I understand, dean of the School of Education at La Trobe. Mm. And Warren was very interested in the dance, and I. He'd met Peter Brinson. Now, Peter Brinson was a colleague and personal friend of Peggy Van Pryor's. Peter finished up. Peter, his initial training, his initial education was broad in London for well-brought-up young men. I don't know what it was, but he finished up at Oxford. He was at Cambridge, I'm not sure. But Peter had been in the Second World War from the time he was 18 and he finished up as aide-de-camp to Montgomery in North Africa. Wow. Yeah, General Montgomery. <laughs> and, that his, and he was one of the first people to be parachuted into Europe oh. during and just immediately prior to and just after the D-Day landings into, back into Europe from, from Britain. And he was one of the people who was parachuted in over the Netherlands. <laughs> and uh, Peter then became head of the Gulbenkian Foundation in London. And uh, he was very interested in dance and was, was responsible for starting um, Ballet for All, which was the name of a small company that went around educating people to look at dance in different ways and where they used 
famous dancers from the Royal Ballet and other places to demonstrate and illustrate to an audience what dance sports mm. could do. So Peter was very interested in the education of dancers too. So Peggy, Peter Brinson, myself, um, were three of the people who were talking about this for a long time. And at the same time, we had, we had one of the famous um, summer schools at Armadale, in University of New England in Armadale. And at that, at that 1974 course in particular, Warren Leck was there. And Warren was, as I say, the Professor of Education at, at, uh, at the Trobe. And he ran sessions like, they used to be called, um, oh, I forget what they used to be called, group sessions, project discussions, I mm. don't have to remember them now. These words have all escaped me, Jonathan. They're not Pachacuchas? Pardon? Pachacucha? That's not a name I know. Oh, okay. It's not, it's not a name I know. <laughs> they had a name for them. And um, he was spending time talking to the choreographers who were there in 1974. And then, and then in 1976, when we had the last one of them, Martha Hill came out. Um, aided by the Australian American Foundation, Peter Brinson came to London, aided by the aided by the Colbegian Foundation, and Norman Morris came from Ballet Rombert. He was he was just about to be appointed. He had been appointed and hadn't taken up the position of head of the Royal Ballet. Mm. So I had Martha Hill, Norman Morris, and Peter Brinson as the three external people. Now Peggy Van Praa was supposed to run that 1976 course. She was having probably the 10th operation on her hips that she had. She had terrible hip replacement problems and I was the one who won the, the task of running that 1976 um, summer school with these famous people there and that was a, a revelation. I met Graham Murphy. Um, Nanette Hassel came from, she'd been a student at Juilliard and uh, she'd gone over there. She was at Fort Street High School in Sydney and Nanette had been an outstanding dancer and, and the choreographer whom mm. uh, Peggy had noted and talked to me about. Peggy gave her a first prize in a choreographic competition, which gave her enough money to go to America. She enrolled in New York, State University of New York, to study a teacher education. And they looked at her and said, what are you doing here? You should be over at Juilliard. So Nanette then went to Juilliard and had a couple of years there where she met Merce Cunningham and developed her interest in, modern, in the modern dance. Yes, it began to happen in 74. In yes. 74, which is why I told you about yeah, the yeah, 74. 74 summer school. There wasn't another one until 76. But by that time, the revelation was very clear mm. that we needed to have a, 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 some sort of organisation that brought dancers. To, it was clear that the people at the summer school were not only interested in dancing and choreography, they were using a whole range of ideas as well connected with the arts and so on and so on. And that was when we began to talk about it. And Warren was in on that conversation. He was a prime mover, as was Peggy. Uh, she wasn't there that year. She was there in 74, though, when it all began. Mm. She was in hospital during the 76 one. And, um, as I say, Peter Brinson and um, Keith Bain was also there. Yes. Keith was in part of, partly in on the conversations so, as well. And you've so always... When we came back mm. to Melbourne, there's Peggy and me and, and Warren who basically started the conversations. And do you feel like it was, and then obviously it started getting momentum. And We drew other people in, like mm. Keith Bain from Sydney and Donna Greaves, who was then living in Melbourne. She was she had been the dance officer for the Australia Council for some years, and she was part of it. She became part of it. 
Owen Morgan became part of it. He was a drama teacher at Ruston, was interested in the, in the education of people doing drama and dance. Stuff like that. After the 76 workshop, is there one, uh, it's kind of a silly phrase, I said. It was a summer school, it was called yes. summer went for three weeks. So after the summer school, is there like a particular moment you hold dear to your heart and go, this, well now we call it Austin's, which we'll get to in a second, this AADE, this is something special, look what we've made, guys. Is there one moment you, it's, it kind of warms your heart, as silly as it sounds? In particular relation to forming it. Not in particular, mm. but <clears throat> a year or two, it was 1977, was the same year. I was, I was at Ruston and I was asked by the New South Wales Board of Higher Education if I would go to Sydney to see uh, something that was being proposed by an American, African-American woman. Carol Johnson. Carol Johnson who wanted to start a course, a university course, for Aboriginal people in Redfern. And she had started, a, she started classes in, in, a, in an old hall of glee. <clears throat> Would I please join the, the people they were asking to, to, to look at what she was doing and, and advise the New South Wales Board of Higher Education. So I went and I found myself in the company of a very young Graham Murphy, Keith Bain, Donna Greaves, who was still the... Uh, dance mm. officer and Margaret Walker who was a folk dance specialist yes. and I was the so-called education dance specialist and we we five people sat there she had brought Carol had brought two young Aboriginal men from Elko Island up north of Darwin mm. Island off north of Darwin she brought them into the studio in Sydney to teach these kids she gathered from all over Redfern they stood around in that funny little old dilapidated <laughs> suburban hall <laughs> and they hung their they were Aboriginal, they, caught, they didn't look us in the eye of course, they hung their heads they were, some of them were, were desperately, I believe it was very, very, they had it, huge yeah. skinny little legs, long skinny legs they were all wrong in every mm. conceivable way and they stood there and then we saw what she was doing these Aboriginal kids from Elko Island, they had the didgeridoo, one of them played the didgeridoo, the other one danced. And we five went, one another, I had never seen anything like it in my entire life. It never, it was an absolute revelation what mm. she had brought into Sydney. That was the beginning of Bangara. Yes. And there's so many, and then, but also that must be fulfilling for you because you can kind of see as you toured the world and not only are you cultivating... Um, white Australian artists, you can see, you know, your cohort, oh, you know, it was mentoring Indigenous children. It was an extraordinary moment. We were asked to go. Eventually, we said, this course, we saw everything she was offering and proposing, mm. the reasons why and wherefore. It was very clear what she wanted to do. And we said, this course must be accredited. It was only a diploma, an associate diploma. I don't think such a low qualification can be got now in the university. Yeah. It was an associate diploma of two years. She proposed to take five years to teach it because they had to be taught hygiene, time, keeping time, being yeah. on time, to speak, to, you know, to just, just be... To credible. be articulate in all forms. To be credible. They yes. To be credible. And she knew it was going to take a long time. So she was proposing five years. It was a two-year degree. We said, this course must be accredited. 
and it must 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 gain. Um, oh, what was the word we used? Um, 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 meaning positive discrimination. Yes, that was what we said. The discrimination must be positive. We must have this course. Yes, it will develop. We could see Carol's. We could see well her background. You know, she was a dancer. With yes, with Elio. With the American company that had come out here, and we were asked to go back again two years later to have a look at what was happening. And there were these kids that we'd seen these these bedraggled, you know, nothing kids standing up straight, got their ballet bags on their backs. They're all over Sydney taking classes everywhere, and we're going. We've just been to the this great thing. I think it was uh, Marseilles. They'd been to an international gathering yes. of Indigenous people in the arts, in dance, or something like that. And they'd just been and come back, and they were full of it. Wonderful. Um, I feel like a great way. We, I want to show you two photos, and I yes. want to see if they sh um, trigger any memories for you. And I think that's a great way to do it. So I'm just gonna. Oh, I'll just remember. Forgive me, I just got a log on to show you. But if I hadn't been at Rusden, having done all that previous stuff, I would never have been asked to look at this. this to look at the school. This, this school that Kate, that Kate was, what's her name? Carol. Carol, I keep wanting to call her Catherine. Carol Johnson was, she did a wonderful job. She really did. And it was the, was the Aboriginal Island Skills Development scheme yes. that she was involved with. I'm just syncing up my computer to do its thing. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Impatient. Oh, there's you, Shirley. <laughs> Messaging me. <laughs> um, oh, I did that this morning. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, photo I want to Come in. Yes, please come in. Yes, please. You want some coffee? I'd love a cup of coffee. I'd love a cup of coffee, please. Yeah, Sam, you could you like a cup of coffee? I'm coffee? good, thank you. I appreciate cup it. Cup of tea? No, I'm good, thank you. I'd like a cup of tea, thank you. Thank you, yes, thank you. Um, I'm just going to pull up this photo that Julie sent me. I love it so much. Let me just... Julie. Let me just... Oh, that's why she sent it. It's always the hard part, working for two Oz dances. I have two sets of emails and I have two sets of everything. What do you think? So this is the first meeting between artistic and tertiary dance directors in Melbourne in 1987. There's you, and there's the whole batch. Good heavens. <laughs> 1987. I don't have any record. I don't, you <laughs> see, my memory for certain things is not mm. good. Yes, so I came closer to it. Is there certain it. people you see in there I, that you have I, a nice memory of? It must be Keith Bain in the back, is it? Mm. The tall man in the back. It must, yes. be, must be Keith. And I don't know who the dark lady, the tall dark lady next to him is. It looks like it is. Okay. No, I believe, because where's Carol? There's Carol. Yes. Then we got That's Don right. Asker, Jackie Simmons, Meredith Blackburn, uh, Meredith Anthony. Oh, they were all there. Mana, I don't want to mispronounce her name. Mana Gelgood. Yes, Mana Gelgood. And As then John Gelgood. Oh, yes. Um, then we got Keith, there's you. Yep. And there's Valda and there's Alan. That's right. Yep, yep. And where was that taken? Where? I mean, in oh, Melbourne. In Melbourne. Okay. Well, we had so many meetings of various <laughs> kinds. It's hard to distinguish. But one you, together. because this is really kind of like in my, in a lot of our opinion, this is a powerhouse generation of people. Mm, it is. Do you remember being that time in the eighties, going, "This is a special group." We take it for granted, John. Mm. 
what is all happening around you and you're part of it. You don't think of it as something special. I think it was special in, mm. in the sense that you felt you were part of something important. Mm. When we began the... I'm just wondering if that's the year... No, it was later than that, when I gave the first Peggy Van Pro. No, 1991 was four years before the speech. That's right. Yes. Yeah. I sent you a copy of that. You, you did. Mm. Um, another picture I want to share with you, which Cheryl sent with me, which all of you are enjoying a big bottle of champagne. <laughs> <laughs> Cheryl yeah, because yeah, Cheryl was saying it was. It took a real long time to change the name, didn't it? Yeah. Trying to figure out the name change. Yeah, yeah, it did. It did, yes. <laughs> and, of course, Warren wasn't interested in changing the name. It was originally the Australian Association for Dance Education, yes. and he thought that was the best possible name. He became less involved with it when it became Austin's. Mm. And why did, you, why did you feel the name needed to be changed? Well, I wasn't even in Melbourne when it happened. Yeah. That was happened. That happened in. Um, it, it, it was changed when I was overseas. Yes, yeah. I was overseas, and uh, what year was it? This is nineteen ninety-two. It's twenty-five years ago. No, it was changed before that. Yeah. So you must. This was a celebration of the name change. Yes. Yes, I know. I wasn't. I know. I wasn't here when the name changed. I was. I was in favour of it, but I, I know I wasn't here. But I think it was a great thing to happen. Those photos remind you of any memories. Mm-hmm. Thank yes, you. Sandra. <laughs> MacArthur Lonzo. I think. This down. Um, and something I, I would like to conclude on, and it's for me, like, I, I think we've touched it on so many times, but I think for yourself, I, I find you, maybe it's my personal opinion as well, as kind of the embodiment of ambition in female leadership. But it sounds like from when we got in the chat in this time, you didn't feel like you were necessarily being a female leader. You were just so passionate and just oh, focused yes. in it. No, you don't think about it at all. Yeah. I've had more chance since I've been in this place, Jonathan. It's an aged care facility, and everybody here is my age, is a, bit, a little bit younger or a great deal older. There are, there's a woman here 108 years old, and I sat in what was called a happy hour. You have a glass of wine, you listen to a lot of pop music, and some singer will, you know turn everything up and everybody has a good time. I, I tend to sit there and do this, you know, I dance with my hands. This woman of 108-year-olds was sitting opposite me, just a few a couple of yards away. She was watching me and she was doing it with me. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, being very creative with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with a little gestural movement. <laughs> and she's doing, she's trying to do the same thing. She's, I'm, the, I'm the only person among 40 who's actually moving with the music. Sitting down, <laughs> sitting down, I'm doing this and I'm waving my arms around. And here she's a 108-year-old woman doing it with me. Extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. Thanks for listening to this special episode. You can find out more at delvingintodance.com where you'll find a list of episode notes and links. You can find Delving Into Dance on Facebook. You can subscribe on iTunes and you can follow on Twitter. At delvingintodance.com, you'll find a range of other wonderful episodes, including with Meryl Tankard, Lucy Guerin, Noel Tovey, Raphael Bonicella, Anouk Van Dyke, Gideon Obazanik, and Deborah Jowett. Delving Into Dance is a self-funded project profiling the diversity of the dance industry. 
Now more than ever, we need platforms like this to help capture, advocate, profile and archive the diversity of dance. If you want to help provide a voice to dance artists, please consider contributing to support future seasons. This season was in partnership with Dance Victoria, such an important body for advocating, profiling and promoting dance. You can become a member, and you should. You can do this for as little as $33 a year. Head to ausdancevic.org.au. Until next time, take care.